Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the time of the week when we pull in one of our policing experts. Well, he's a police at the Toronto Police Association. John Reed, the president, and we uh, chat about all things headline in um, policing news. Good to have you, John. Yeah, good morning, Alex. How are you? One of the big headlines, obviously, and we've talked about it before on this show, is, um, you know, we're into a, what, mon- one month of uh, Olivia Chow's mandate, and now she has finally met with your organization uh, earlier this week. There had been concern because, you know, she wasn't reaching out. You guys wanted to get some kind of framework, and I think others will argue, well, she's not obligated to speak with anyone outside the chief. But let me know, what happened in this meeting that both sides came out and felt like there was progress? I mean, the concern always was she is believer of defund, that she won't put, um, you know, the priority on hiring police. But what can you take us through what, what made that meeting a success or, or are we getting a different headline here? No, I think, um, you know, I was I was uh, content with the meeting, the way the the meeting was completed. One of the issues I believe we had since uh, Mayor Chow had taken her position was we didn't have a, um, an ability to have communication with her. We weren't hearing anything from her or her office in relation to what was going on in the city. And these were serious events. And just, just for their listeners that may not be aware, mm-hmm. we ended up in a situation where we had you know, an officer that was almost crushed between two, uh, a stolen vehicle and another vehicle. We had two officers engaged in a gunfight, ultimately resulting in one of our police dogs being shot. And we didn't hear anything from the mayor publicly. And I think it is important, it's incumbent, quite honestly, on a mayor of a city such as Toronto to speak on issues that concern the public. And these are public safety issues. These are issues that impact our members directly. Our members are out there each and every day putting that uniform on, going out, putting their lives on the line. And to hear nothing from the mayor was very concerning. So I had the opportunity to go in, uh, myself and our vice president, Brian Callanan, and we spoke with, uh, with the mayor. We expressed very clearly what our concerns were. Uh, she acknowledged our concerns, and we uh, we agreed to move forward. And um, we now have an ability now to communicate directly, obviously, with her and her office, which I think will be critical moving forward. Okay, and so obviously, um, you know, budget is going to tell a story as to what they plan or don't plan to invest in policing. Did you get any kind of indication from the mayor on whether or not she sees crime in the same light that that you and the and your officers do. I mean, we have a lot going on. Certainly, we've got these safe injection site issues that are now being reviewed by the province. We've got random violence. We just got the crime stats from Stats Canada saying that you know major and violent crime is the highest we've seen, you know, up thirty nine percent over the last five years. So, did you get any direction from her whether or not officers will get the support they need? So she undertook to actually come out and public support our members for the jobs they're doing each and every day. One of the key things as far as budgeting and staffing is, um, quite frankly, she has no choice but to acknowledge the issues we're having. And right now mm-hmm. we're running at a 21, 22-minute response time for 911 calls. Yeah. That is not acceptable by anybody's standards. So I believe she understands the problems and uh, you know the issues we're facing as a police service and as a city as well. You know, Public safety is paramount. 
our members want to make sure they can deliver that. We have to make sure our people have the right staffing numbers, the right equipment, and the right training to get that done. And unfortunately, that costs money, and that's mm-hmm. you know a reality of where we are right now. Yeah, and there needs to be um, a fast and comprehensive plan, but it, it, it just it can't wait. So, are, do we do we expect changes soon in in the direction and or or you know the structure of what we're going to see? So we already have this year's budget. So that budget yeah. uh, budgeting for a net increase of 200 officers. Uh, there, mm-hmm. that is not going to change. That was my understanding uh, that I took from the mayor. Um, you know, the budget itself that's going to be a discussion for the chief of police, police services board, and the mayor as far as that budget goes um, in the coming months. All right. I want to move on to um, a proposed class action lawsuit. It has not been um, accepted uh, by the judge. It has not yet been heard, but it has been filed. And it's been launched over Toronto Police's historic use of carding, um, you know, alleging that the practice of uh, randomly stopping people and collecting information is marginalizing communities and, you know, breaking uh, charter rights. And so they, they've launched this thing. We'll see if a judge accept it, accepts it. It's interesting. You get a lot of different opinions on this, John. Certainly got a lot of people saying, look, this is certainly if you talk to defense lawyers, they'll say, look, there's charter violations. We can't do this. You'll talk to other policing uh, members who say this is this does have value. Um, we do get intelligence off this. And so you come back to the middle of is there not a way to use this program and to improve it so that it doesn't violate charter issues, um, but not get rid of it altogether? Is there not a happy medium? Because is there got to be a charter right for the community at large feeling safe? Um, so where's the balance? And is there one when it comes to this issue? Or is it too political at this point? Well, this has always been uh, kind of fraught with, with issues, I think, politically um, at all levels of government. Uh, here in the city of Toronto, uh, back when carding was actually utilized, you know, our members were out each and every day and um, doing what they were basically told to do. I, I think carding ended up getting away somehow, um, and the community wasn't happy with the way it was going, and subsequently the, the service and, and the city adjusted what they were doing and had it reviewed. Now, there still is the ability for officers to conduct uh, investigations um, and submit information on individuals they feel are worthy uh, that may be involved in criminal uh, activity at this point. Um, but, but I think you know, there needs to be a lot of support for our members. The community needs to come out and say they want this done. They want people investigated because um, ultimately the community are, are, are really the voice of the people. And we need to make sure that the community understands the consequence uh, and the actions of whether we do something or we don't do something. Yeah, but are you of the mind we need to do something? I, I think we do. Uh, I think definitely. You know, we need to make sure our officers are armed, uh, you know, with the necessary legislation to go out um, and investigate people. Uh, there is some regulatory um, pieces which are available to our officers now, but I think our officers are, are concerned, quite frankly. They're concerned about complaints uh, and not being supported. So I think, once again, when I come back around to the community, I, I think we need the communities to raise this issue, you know, with their counselors, with their MPs, say, no, no, this is what we want, if that, in fact, that is what they want. Yeah, because I don't know, and I don't know if we have the data. Um, once upon a time, the thought was, well, the gang members don't take their guns out, they, they keep them at home because they don't want to be carded and lose them. But now that they don't have any fear of being carded, that's why we're seeing all these shootings all over the place. Is that, do you agree with that? I, I do, quite honestly. I can tell you, you know, years ago, 
uh, we had individuals that may uh, be in possession of firearms, but they didn't used to carry them. So consequently, they'd be involved um, you know, out in the street, they'd come across each other, and they weren't actually armed at the time, so we didn't get these shootings. Now we're in situations where um, you know, they're far more cavalier about carrying a firearm with them. So ultimately, when they do see each other, they just engage in an immediate gunfight. And I believe that leads into what happened down in Leslieville. And you and I have talked yeah. about this many times, and I've talked about my concern about stray rounds. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and here we have a situation where a mother of two is struck down in the middle of her life just for walking down the street. It's unacceptable. It is unacceptable, but it has been normalized. That's the concern. And so, you know, I'm of the mind, let's let's find a balance. Uh, just quickly, because John will run out of time, but, you know, the province is going to be doing this oversight uh, and review of the clinics, not just in Toronto, but across the province to see if enforcement, if they're doing what they're supposed to do, which is, you know, make sure people are safe and the community is safe. There is an obligation that they have to make sure safety is, you know, there as well as getting addicts into treatment. I don't think that's going on here. If the police have input into any kind of review on harm reduction, what would that be as to what you need to see happen? Because we know that certainly in the Leslieville case, that police uh, told me that they've been told to stay away because they don't want to, to stigmatize addicts. But at the same time, we have an obligation, or they should have an obligation, to keep the community safe. And so what would police want to see? So I think what I, I would like to see association-wise, our members, we'd like to see greater enforcement around these areas. You know, they're mm-hmm. called safe injection sites. My question is safe for who? It's an oxymoron. <laughs> a little bit, area, yeah. Right? Yeah. And this is a problem. And I think, you know, people have to understand these you know, individuals who are involved. Um, you know, these attract criminals. They, they attract drug dealers. And they end up tearing down the communities, which these are, these are dropped into. You know, and the larger kind of, uh, larger piece we need to look at is actually getting people off the drugs. You know, the whole idea of feeding people safe supply until, the, you know, I guess, unfortunately, they may die. How is that a great plan? We need to make sure there's uh, alternatives for them to get them off some kind of treatment program, um, you know, to end that cycle. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time, quite frankly. Yeah, losing a lot of lives. Look, it's been a crisis since at least 2015. It would be nice to see the urgency to uh, free people from the disease. John, I'm out of time. Got a lot to cover today. Appreciate your time. Great. Thank you very much. That is John Reed joining us from the uh, Toronto Police Association. So, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on that review, and I suspect it's not going to, well, I've been told it's not going to take long, and I suspect that we will see changes.